Telemetry in launch condition. Missile in internal AC. Pressurization complete. This is Steve, as always, and uh, glad to be here with you again today. I know it's been a few weeks since uh, I read you The Smoky God, an amazing story. Uh, We did it in two parts back in September, if you missed it. Uh, Go back and check it out. Uh, It's a great story time about a, admittedly, far-fetched, some would say incredible tale of a young navigator and his father uh, traveling beyond the North Pole in a small fishing sloop of theirs inside of a hollow earth and back again. Uh, Fantastic story written in a documentary style over a hundred years ago now. Good times. We're back together today though. I'm happy to say to talk about Some really interesting topics, new topics, a new, for lack of a better word, conspiracy theory, a theory anyway. Um, Certainly new to me, and I think indeed newer in general to the wider world, at least uh, put together in such a complete concept, which, yeah, we'll, we'll get to here. In just a moment, uh, I, I'm literally going to need your assistance as my loyal audience and longtime listeners to help me understand some of this as we go through it together. I'll present everything I've got for you today and tell you exactly where I'm running up against my own like buffer limit for comprehension or just uh, new lingo. It's it's amazing, uh, and to get right to it, the the theory that got this episode started and got us sitting down here today is called the dead internet theory. Yeah, I told you. Awesome, right? (laughs) Dystopian, even. And I'm sure there's probably already an episode of Black Mirror, you know, out there. And maybe that show's already over. I don't think I ever finished it. That anthology, my wife and I both liked it a lot, but it was like almost all too believable for us in, in some ways. So I think maybe that contributed to us just like, all right, enough at a certain point. So anyway, dead internet theory, to explain a bit better, seems to have come into existence just over the past year or so now in online and in, in forums like 4chan and Reddit. You can easily go to Reddit right now and and simply at the top search bar type in dead internet theory and I think you'll find a couple of solid threads on this right there. Uh, there's a another really much more uh, lesser known and unique and weird internet community that I think this originated on and that's called Agora Road. Uh, I've got the link for that one up here on the on the screen. We'll make it get it into the show notes, of course. But where this 
where this concept has been sort of brought up to everybody and then commented heavily upon by the by the respective communities. So I, I, I personally think I came across this like I do with so many other things like on YouTube. Uh, so can anything be considered a natural discovery anymore or should I already? I mean, there we go. We're, we're, we're talking about YouTube. You're talking to a di- listening to a digital creator who creates both podcast content and content for YouTube and has for a while now. YouTubers live and die by talking about the algorithm over there. Okay. Uh, you can, uh, any long-term listener of the podcast will quickly be jumping ahead here in their minds and, and recalling topics, discussions about YouTube and, and its algorithm, discussions about uh, many topics that we've gotten into over the years, deep fakes, artificial intelligence, etc. right? So this is already, you know, as soon as I saw the title Dead Internet Theory, I was like, you couldn't, I, I mean, my, my body was already moving to hit the play button. I think it had already happened, right? The second sub, subliminally that the words appeared on the screen, I was like, whatever else I was doing, boom, that's starting, start play. Uh, so, you know, YouTube served me up this story. The... Uh, Video that I'll link you guys to um, will be among just a few that you can choose from so far, even on YouTube about it. I really want to watch this one Hindi fellows uh, rundown on it because it looks like he is talking about the same exact stuff and really fiercely, but we don't even have closed captioning on his video. Um, But I, yeah. Anyway, there's not a ton of content out there in terms of video on this yet. You know, the nutshell, the the back of the envelope description, you know, is that the internet's dead. That's a bit of a exaggeration uh, because we know individually, right? You sitting there know that you're real and you're on the internet and me sitting here, I know I'm real and I'm on the internet. At the same time, that very question can be asked well, is that really true or not, right? If you know me, maybe you can say with a certainty, yes, if you know me, IRL. If you don't, I could be a character, I suppose. I could be a employee of somebody, I suppose. When I say I, again, that's put yourself in those shoes, right? We talk about bots all the time. We talk about dealing with them in our, again, in the, in the YouTube realm, um, in our audiences, subscription numbers for certain creators, what percentage of them is real and what percentage of them are either purchased or uh, acquired even accidentally out of a outgrowth of this proliferation of a weird, like, super bot population or sublayer of the internet that exists um, that's arguably like thriving more than the trad internet, you know, <laughs> the internet 1.0 and 2.0 that we think we're existing in. Search results. We know they're manipulated. We've talked about this for years. The Google search results aren't as 
natural as we're led to believe. I've also recently saw a video talking about that where a creator actually went and exhaustively tried to scroll through all of the many millions of proposed, posited, uh, valid or relevant uh, search results for a term, several terms. And they quickly found that the numbers dropped from millions to merely thousands or even hundreds by the time you get a few pages deep in your search. Without ever changing your search field, those results would, as they update and as you call for the next set of results beyond which what was scrolled and buffered onto the screen that you were looking at, the page view, that that number would go down and down again and down again until you come to find out that you know, your first few pages were the expected curated results, some of which might have been valid for your search term. Um, but that a lot of stuff after that not only was lower value results, but gibberish results and misrepresented at the top level as being much deeper than it was in some way. And is that a method of discouraging a person from even attempting to go past page two of the search results? Do most people ever see page two of the search results? So I'm, I'm way off script and I'm giving you a lot of extra commentary because even as I'm telling you the story, of course, it brings up thought upon thought over and above what I've even, you know, prepared and written down already. Uh, as I was getting ready to do this episode and create this episode, right after I first watched the first couple of videos about this, um, I went ahead and oddly, you know, you guys know I'm not really on social these days uh, for all the reasons that we were just talking about. Being, you know, feeling socially engineered, feeling, you know, overly curated to and overly boxed in by my feeds and by the sort of places that you end up mentally and philosophically um, when you're day in and day out, Facebook interacting or Instagram scrolling, whatever it might be. Uh, I've recently oddly made a really weird comeback to social media uh, for myself on a whole nother platform. And, and yes, you probably could guess it's TikTok. It's already shared something up on my YouTube channel about it already. And we'll talk about that on another at another point in time. But what a fascinating app. So different and weird uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, and I think people who aren't on it, uh, including definitely myself, um, have a lot of misconceptions about what can be found on there if you're just seeing what is shared elsewhere from TikTok because it's a really weird weird window out that goes out to wherever you are at, whether that's Instagram or where would I see them? On YouTube Shorts, of course, right? Um, so, yeah, wild, wild stuff. Probably uh, – talk about that a lot more soon, but I, I posted of all places on LinkedIn. Okay. <laughs> I posted on LinkedIn where I never get any 
meaningful interaction from anybody for anything I ever post on there. And I've complained about it on there in the past. And the only thing that ever happened to me was uh, in terms of interaction on that post where I basically told everybody on LinkedIn how much they sucked for never, you know, interacting with any of each other's meaningful posts and just spamming corporate crap and announcements that everybody could agree nobody gives a flying you know what at and uh i got a i actually got reached out like contacted by a text message by a text message excuse me from an old colleague who was a superior of mine in in a uh tech setting a few years back and uh totally in a concerned uh older sisterly way was like come on man delete that post you don't need to do that don't do that on your linkedin da 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 you'll you'll want that post gone one of these days and uh you know i went ahead and deleted it i did i did i heeded their advice and it was probably a good idea but here i am a few years later posting on linkedin about crazy conspiracies and i literally uh put it to the few people on there who might follow or see my posts on linkedin have you heard of dead internet theory if so what do you think about this you know this is a theory that most of the modern internet is ruled by algorithms artificial intelligence every single person's internet experience Today, I think we can agree in 2021 is intensely personal. Um, and I, I didn't even phrase it that well in, in that post. I said, dead internet theory, this is it. AI, bots, bad search uh, results uh, all together contribute to largely isolation and, and a frustrating experience on the modern internet words to that effect and uh i only got one comment on that thread on that post and uh but i got a comment and it was a really great comment from an old from a completely separate old colleague of mine who i think we were all working together at the same company as a matter of fact you know no need to uh de-anonymize them in any way but that's that's enough uh, context. This is a person I really knew and liked a lot. Smart individual uh, and more technical than me, uh, certainly in their background and experience and where they uh, worked in the company. And uh, their response was this, and I'll read it. Uh, I might mentally spell check a word or two here, but last summer... This is their reply on, have you heard about dead internet theory or what do you think about this? Last summer, Google's results after the five or six item totally turned to garbage, link bait. Ripped and sliced and diced sentence fragments that had logical meaning to the index, but only a negative net value. So, you know, they were using keyword word salad, obviously, right, to pop high on the Google results there. He goes on, especially frustrating if it was a technical paper that had citations. References to it were always to some sort of site that was, says, crowd, corralled or crowd and had its IP address in the results. 
It's gotten better, but it was a dark hole there for a while. And that's exactly... So I loved this because until you've worked in software engineering or for a technology firm at all, you'll never, you'll never believe me when I tell you how much of the day is spent by different people doing a lot more than just Googling, but indeed Googling how to do things and how to build the things that they're building. <laughs> and they're going, like I said, a lot of different places, a lot of better resources, a lot of industry-specific resources, and again, looking for technical papers, white papers, um, you know, public specifications, best practices, and things like that. So these people work the internet and the internet search and research you know, like their jobs depended on it, because it does, including this person. And and it's not a knock on their individual skills in the least. It's a credit to them all that they stay current in that way and iterate their own documentation and, in many cases, make that available in different ways when they can, when it doesn't directly, obviously, like, break their company's IP, you know, intellectual property rights and things. A lot of the internet is built on open source tools. So that's, you need to be able to go to the internet and ask it questions and then get data back. Otherwise, we're in that most horrible of states and that would be of being in a giant universal library, the Library of Babel. Um, look that one up. I think I think that comes up in the one of the videos on dead internet. Um, in a, in a, in a super nutshell on that one, it's basically that you're in a vast library of all conceivable human knowledge, but in addition to that, you have all conceivable permutations of every combination of letters and numbers, both comprehensible language and not. And all of the said data is encoded into utter cabillions of identical volumes arrayed around you in vast, endless hallways with no outer cover, identifying what's in each volume or book, and no punctuation, no chapter marks inside, no table of contents, no glossary, no appendix. But it's all there, somewhere. Now, we, we have an appendix, we have a glossary, we have a tool to search, we have labels and things, but we also have, in the year 2021, a lot of decay on the internet uh, as well. Uh, let's get out of me, though, for a minute and jump up to the story, finally, and uh, look at the, the Atlantic story, uh, and then maybe I'll jump into the thread on Agora Road Briefly, to, to paraphrase out of the, the original posters thread, um, 
And I deeply or strongly encourage you, exhort you as always to make use of the show notes and check out these links yourselves, please. And, you know, enjoy them as I have and come back at me and tell me about them. Talk to me about them. You know how to get at me? Talk to us at bakedandawake.com. The email never changes. Get me on Discord. It's always in the show notes. Yeah. All right. I love you. Love it. Love you and I love it. And I love this. Love this dead internet. So let's go to the Atlantic. Here it is. Click, click, click. And uh, our writer on this piece, by the way, did a great job. I think it's Caitlin Tiffany is the writer of this piece. And it says here, maybe you missed it, but the internet died five years ago. A conspiracy theory spreading online says the whole internet is now fake. It's ridiculous, but possibly not that ridiculous. And we won't read the whole article, but we'll, we'll paraphrase it here as well. If you search the phrase, I hate texting on Twitter, and you scroll down, you'll start to notice a pattern. An account with the handle at Pixie Lover and a Pixie Lover, L-U-V-R, and a glowing heart as a profile picture tweets. I hate texting. I just want to hold your hand. Receiving 16,000 likes. An account with the handle at F41RYGF and a pink orb as a profile picture tweets. I hate texting. Just come live with me. Receiving nearly 33,000 likes. An account with the handle at It's Pure Love and a pink orb as a profile picture tweets. I hate texting. I just want to kiss you. Receiving more than 48,000 likes. There are slight changes to the verb choice and girlish username and color scheme. But the idea is the same each time. I'm a person with a crush in the age of smartphones, and isn't that relatable? Yes, it sure is. But some people on Twitter have wondered whether these are really, truly just people with crushes in the age of smartphones saying something relatable. They've pointed at them as possible evidence, validating a wild idea called dead internet theory. They go on to give you kind of the, some of the details that I have already but dead internet theory suggests that the internet has been almost entirely taken over by artificial intelligence. Like lots of other online conspiracy theories, the audience for this one is growing because of discussion led by a mix of true believers, sarcastic trolls, and idly curious lovers of chit-chat. Which one are we? One might, for example point to at underscore cap recorn with the I as a num numeral one, a Twitter account with what looks to be a blue orb with a pink spot in the middle as a profile picture. In the spring, the account tweeted, I hate texting, come over and cuddle me. And then, I hate texting, I just want to hug you. And then, I hate texting, just come live with me. And then, I hate texting. I just want to kiss you, the letter U, which got 1,300 likes, but didn't perform as well as it did for It's Pure Love. But unlike lots of other online conspiracies, this one 
has a morsel of truth to it. Person or bot? Does it really matter? By the way, interestingly, the Atlantic, which uh, I'll warn you guys, they have some kind of paywall on the Atlantic, uh, obviously, so you can only read a couple of articles a month by the looks of it before they want you to subscribe. But they do point right at another article of theirs that I did go ahead and open, and we won't spend a lot of time in on this episode, but it is an article entitled Read. You know, the inset's like, read, click this link. The internet is mostly bots. So, and that's another piece they did in their technology um, column back in 2017. So probably an interesting article to go back and read now to see how things have shaped up since they thought they were going to look about Internet of Things in 2017 to now. Dead Internet theory, it's terrifying, but I love it. I agree. I love it too. I read about it on Agora Rhodes Macintosh Cafe, an online forum with a pixelated Margaritaville vibe, and I agree it is really weird and quaint. It's a little off-putting, even though I come from solidly in in an era when a lot of forums web forums uh had this kind of vibe and our myspace pages had this is this is a real vaporwave kind of channeled vibe you guys will see when you get to the uh to the link to the agora road thread on this and it is a long little uh initial thread they've got there yeah it's yeah it's a good thread on agora road that, w- that would be probably the place to go yourselves uh everybody when you're looking into this further individually. The site is largely, this Agora Road site, largely for discussing lo-fi hip-hop, which I don't listen to. See, so there's this, what I said, the Vaporwave vibe is right right alongside that lo-fi beats to study to kind of aesthetic, right? That's what, that's what they're kind of doing there, but in definitely in a more pixely vibe. Uh, but they, they do conspiracy theory chat there a bit as well. So the article here... Let's see. I'm gonna. I'm scrolling down a little bit. They're basically telling us where you know where it is on Agora Road, and I'm gonna send you guys directly to it. So yeah, the the writer here does make a great point that if you go back and read that original thread on Agora Road, you'll you'll definitely get this same vibe. Peppered with casually offensive language, the post suggests that the internet died in 2016 or early 2017, and that now it is empty and devoid of people, as well as entirely sterile. Uh, the the writer of the thread seems younger. Okay, and I and I have a bemused and like resigned expression on my face as I say that I'm not making any excuses for them. I've been them. So, yeah. Uh, Much of the supposedly human-produced content you see online was actually created using AI. I pause, because, you know, as this author probably did mentally, uh, you know, I don't know if I totally buy that, but the OP Illuminati pirate is there screen handle in that forum, I believe, claims and was propagated by bots, possibly aided by a group of influencers, in quotes, on the payroll of various corporations that are in cahoots with the government. The conspiring group's intention is, of course, to control our thoughts and get us to purchase stuff. To wit, 
I would say, where's the lie? I've seen the same threads, the same pics, the same replies posted over and over across the years. He argues that all modern entertainment is generated and recommended by an algorithm, gestures at the existence of deep fakes, which suggest that anything at all may be an illusion, and links to a New Yorker story from 2018 titled How Much of the Internet is Fake? Turns out, a lot of it, actually. Let's see if that one opens up. I think it does. I think this is also um, accessible. It is. That one came out in 2018. And I did read through this one as well. Great articles. I'm telling you guys, this dead internet stuff is, is tripping me out. You know, as they point out, obviously, the internet's not a government psyop, but the government's on it, right? We know this. I don't have to belabor it. Look at your phone. Look at your devices. Everything's connected. We've all got internet-connected webcams. We've got, you know, I, we've somehow managed not to end up with a Wi-Fi-connected refrigerator yet, but our fridge is getting old, y'all. I don't know how much longer I can hold out. All right? I don't know what they're going to sell me. They might not even sell me one that's not Wi-Fi firmware datable next time around. I don't even know. So I don't want to read the whole article because I want to let you guys enjoy the, the full article for yourself. I'm going to jump out of this one and take you to one of the places it took me. There's a website that... How did I find that one? I think... The Reddit thread pointed me at this link. And I need to do a better job of tracing exactly where some of these inspirations came from. I know, I know. But the important thing is we found the website, found a blog post. This blog post is from 2013, 2017, okay, 2017, October 13th, 2017. The writer of this post is Patrick Ryan. This appears to be Mr. Ryan's entire website, and this is a blog post on the website, something called The Butterfly War. Uh, the website itself is called cultstate.com. Okay? And um, there's a, you know there's some visuals here and stuff that I can't give you guys directly but this is where the lingo and jargon get a little bit uh, more cryptic in my opinion um, but yeah obviously I'm really struggling with the words this is the part of the podcast that is almost more interesting than the dead internet theory because this is like a blog post called the butterfly war by this person who's going to go on to tell us a little bit about themselves and then what this butterfly war is um it sounds at first like you might be listening to a really scary edgelord but i think this person is a like i believe this person is a, like a dissenter and an ally of the fucking proletariat and he's showing his method for wrenching in the machine you know throwing a wrench in the works 
without further ado, let's just go. This post is going to take a more casual tone because I fear it's the only way to convey the seriousness of its contents. Okay, and this is Patrick Ryan now. My name is Patrick Ryan. I'm the voice of Nightmare in Soul Calibur 3, the video game Soul Calibur 3. This is a hyperlink that he's got that you can like go to to see his credit. That page stretches my face, lol. It was my very first voiceover gig, and it was the very first voiceover gig I ever auditioned for. I was told it was for a necromancer, and the booth director had no idea what that was, so I said I'd give him a reference track. He submitted it, and they took it. I didn't know it was for Soul Calibur until I was at the actual recording session. I was paid $2,000 and no residuals. Yay. As I write this, I feel what I'm about to reveal is officially part of the Randy Quaid tier Z-list celebrity wacky conspiracy club. I kept meticulous documentation distributed across multiple parties to do my best to stay out of such associations. In a hyperlinked sentence, again, we see, I bought Milo Yiannopoulos, yes, that Milo, 20,000 Twitter followers on November 26th, 2014. He asked me not to do it. I did it anyways, in a hyperlink, with another hyperlink in parentheses, some more proof. These links do appear to still work and open to archived tweets, uh, let's see, an archived conversation uh, from Twitter between Milo and at 12decode. No, please don't do that, quote-unquote. Um, so, you know, th this is uh, how he's establishing this sort of the his crit, you know his bona fides right i wanted to make sure breitbart doubled down on gamergate because it needed a culture warrior veteran like bannon to drive the mass media front okay so like a lot of name dropping of fringy types who i generally am highly <laughs> critical of obviously uh no surprise there, again, for anybody who's been around. So, if you're new, welcome. This is Baked and Awake. Uh, I took a snapshot of the bot tracker in 2015, again with a link, to make sure my bots were still there. In parentheses, looks like a few thousand of them fell off after a year. It was a controversial play, but the correct strategic move. I basically tricked Breitbart's social media metrics to make them move in a direction I needed. I found a problem with Gawker's ad infrastructure. DigiDay even picked up on it. Again, links. I'll get into this. I'll get into how this involved Peter Thiel later on. I own this site. He goes on, you might have seen an article or two floating around from time to time at an interesting moments over the past few years, or not. Again, hair on the back of my neck, prickles as I read, Zero Hedge liked my work. My work even got cited by someone once. Uh, these links again seem to continue to work. And, uh, you know, this is my re- visiting this after taking my time with it initially. Uh, 
Neo-reactionists, he goes on, tend to like this site. I had one of them track me down in real life. He was a nice guy. So, right there, he's he almost makes it all better by bringing out the neo-reactionists' term. But there I am, you know, as a liberal snowflake, liking the sound of that. You know, and he says he tracked me down in real life. He was a nice guy. So is is this person, you know, is he trolling the trolls? Is he embedding himself, you know, in in the spaces that their influence can be sort of manipulated within, tapped into, uh, interacted with in some way that influences anyway? Because he's building a case here for the fact that he can enact things and make things happen out in the real world based on activity on the internet. Continuing, the contents of this site document my social experiments with 4chan's slash poll in the period before Gamergate. Experiments that would be directly responsible for Silicon Valley's right side of history crusade against Gamergate. Okay, enough with the credentials. Let's get down to business. What started with GG Autoblocker, again a link, became Project Shield, Google's effort to automatically censor anyone who doesn't conform to Silicon Valley moral supremacy. The Project Shield link resolves to jigsaw.google.com slash issues slash hashtag project hyphen shield and we see jigsaw i think that's a a front-end company of google's some kind creating future defining technology we develop new technologies and conduct research to protect protect open societies and inspire scalable solutions Got disinformation, toxicity, censorship, violent extremism. Our work is broadly categorized into these types of products. I've heard about this. I've heard about this. Uh, Project Shield, I'll leave it in the show notes for you guys. Don't worry. It's going in right now. We do that all the time. Live update to the show notes. Sometimes happens. There it is. So getting back to it. Uh, and, and Project Shield is what it sounds like, them figuring out ways to like identify dangerous speech and hate speech and stuff online and, and find ways to root it out and stop misinformation and, you know, all these bad things, which sounds, you know, it's one of those things, right? People are going to passionately argue for it as well as against it. So, Project Shield, Google's effort to automatically censor anyone who doesn't conform to Silicon Valley moral supremacy. Project Shield is a multi-layered, part-human, part-AI platform that uses mostly metadata signatures to preemptively discover and stop problematic opinions. In quotes. If you recall, this initiative was created with great fanfare at nearly every phase. This is a huge link. With Gamergate's literally who's interview 
like who's who, I think, invited to participate in Google Ideas, which led directly to Jigsaw. I found a way to hijack those censorship platforms, all of them. No matter how many changes or patches or advancements to AI that occur, my hijack works in every scenario. We can hijack Project Shield and make it target social justice warriors. I recently had a tweet moment about this. It bears repeating here with additional details because I'm sure the time will come when Twitter removes it. Let's start with a phrase. Cyber phrenology. This means using the volume and quality of metadata as a supposed indication of character and mental abilities. Yeah, a lot of word salad here. And that last paragraph, by the way, seemed clearly to be targeting social justice warriors without a uh, exculpatory or uh, qualifier or uh, counter part saying it could be used against the neo-reactionary that he mentioned a couple paragraphs above. So again, you know, we could be, I'm really, st this is the stuff I'm asking you guys for help with here. We're reading this together and, and realizing together this guy's trying to enact, you know, internet meta like psycho influence over people uh, possibly through at the very least some sort of crafty or devious means of interacting with the platforms that people are currently spending pretty much all their online time in you know, investing their digital personas into, you know, deriving our our news and things from. And again, I never count myself free of this or out of that. I'm, try as I might, I only get the results I'm allowed to get in so many ways. I digress. This, you know, this site is an interesting site. This guy worries me a bit, but I, I want him to be, uh, turn out to be, you know, a friend, an ally to, again, you know, the, as I say it often, the proletariat, the people, <laughs> the common man. but I'm not sure. Let's keep going, though. Cyber phrenology, whatever. Let's go with this guy's story here. Let's listen to it and see what we can see. This means using the volume and quality of metadata as a supposed indication of character and mental abilities. Every major Silicon Valley corporation sells and legitimizes cyber phrenology for advertising. So, of course, he's talking about our biometrics on our phones that I've talked to you about before. You know, they don't just know what ads you click and don't click. They know which ones you pause on. They know for how many milliseconds you pause on them. They know if you scroll back momentarily towards it and then move on. 
they know if you put your phone down and let the ad play while you look at something else and then pick it back up when the ad is over and your content is resumed. I don't I shouldn't have to spell that out for people. So, but that sounds to me like this cyber phrenology that he's describing here. Every major Silicon Valley sells and legitimizes cyber phrenology for advertising, politics, militaries, and academies. Academics, excuse me. Moral supremacists think they can use these techniques to stop Nazis, the alt-right, and others who aren't Silicon Valley-sanctioned ideologies. But what if there was a way to make those tools target morally cherished protected classes instead? Would they see the problem with their efforts and stop their madness? Would they try to find ways around it? Would they lobby against civil rights? I find it's best to steer the answer when you have multiple questions like this. So, you know, we got a free speech advocate on our hands here, fairly safe to say, but are they, yeah, anything more than that? Let's see. Uh, in another hyperlink, in 2013, I was studying the communication differences between 4chan's slash poll and Tumblr and found that social media gamified communication and created monocultures based on strategies that maximize attention economy efficiency. I also found that anonymous forums had a unique ability to interfere with these games by leveraging what I call the butterfly attack, in quotes. This attack is named after the Mueller interpretation of the mimetic polymorphism found in Lepidoptera, commonly known as butterflies. Darwin had a hard time explaining the variations of butterfly wing patterns. Fritz Mueller proposed a radical solution. Mueller proposed that some butterflies tasted bad. Predators learned to avoid butterflies that tasted bad based on their wing patterns. The other butterflies, however, were eaten. <laughs> Is this true, you guys? I don't know. Those who survived ended up with wing patterns that looked like bad-tasting butterflies. I mean, he does, he does have a link to this Mueller proposal. The predator, unable to tell the difference, avoided both. Once you understand the concept, this part is key. Multiple species can join this protective cooperative, expanding the mimicry ring. In America, we have a legal concept called, quote, protected classes, which was established by the Civil Rights Act of 1964. This concept protects against the discrimination of people based on race, color, religion, National origin, age, 40 and over, nice, sex, pregnancy, citizenship, familial status, disability status, veteran status, and genetic information. Interesting. So genetic information is included separately from race. Interesting. In there. Um at least in their, their summary of this, of the Civil Rights Act. These are morally immutable concepts to the average Western citizen. Think of these protected properties as, quote, wing patterns. 
These patterns tell potential legal predators to avoid targeting these people. Cultural efforts, primarily through the education system and Hollywood, were also made to make everyone else afraid of these wing patterns as well. Were also made to, it looks like, make sure everyone else was afraid of these wing patterns as well. One day, Twitter users decided to start a hashtag called Solidarity is for White Women. He's got it linked. And I saw a chance to try out my theory. What if people could trick others into thinking they were members of a protected class? This theory reminded, it required me to convince slash poll to be black feminists, to amplify the shaming of white feminists. It was poll's first successful raid. 4chan nostalgia confirms this. He's got a list of links here, and I did click these, but they're really just links to these, like one comment in a long thread of 4chan comments where this must have been originally planned. Dense and, I don't know, kind of grungy feeling to look at even the archives of these, uh, but they're there. And here, the, the last one in these is actually the best link. So it's like a Chan comment, another Chan comment. These are two separate links. Behold, a wild comment appears, a third one. Then the fourth one is, here's a Channer, 4Channer, admitting I was around since 2012 doing my thing. And they're commenting there, this sounds like, you know, cult state. Um, so-and-so's work. Where is it here? This whole anonymous post, Saturday, 1 March, 2014. This whole thread reminds me of Cult State, who showed up here once or twice two years ago. As I stated before, I documented the entire experiment in broad daylight. I suffered a few DDoSes and reputation poison attacks for it. Here were the results. The theory of fracturing monocultures, the experiments in fracturing monocultures, the psychology of modern American monocultures... The conclusion was astounding. Those were all links. Okay, I told you I needed your help, guys. The conclusion was astounding. White feminists were so afraid of civil rights wing patterns, they feared retaliating against black feminist rage. The hashtag was legit, by the way. White feminists cry about pixels. Black feminists can't feed their kids. I don't feel bad for what I did. Okay, so there's our, there's our concession of who we've got here. So now we know. Let's stay here, though. Okay. Keep your friends close, right? Later on, those slash poll slash lax I trained went on to start hashtag and Father's Day. A Time Magazine op-ed hilariously ran with it as if it was legit. Mueller's conclusion was proven right again. Quote, multiple species can join this protective cooperative, expanding the mimicry ring. The desire to join civil rights wing patterns expanded the mimicry ring from Twitter to mainstream news. And when Gamergate happened, the mimicry ring expanded yet again to encompass politics as well. The not my shield hashtag, hashtag not my shield, 
hashtag appeared at the beginning of Gamergate to show that non-white, non-males were also gamers. This effort also contained those same slash poll slash lax I trained. Ars Technica revealed such associations, and that one yields a still-working link to, like, how Gamer Gators uh, caused... Or did this one break? Did this link break? Oh, yeah, no, I just have to prove I'm not a robot, and I think they'll let me in. It is an archived article. Chat logs show how 4chan users created Gamergate controversy. I love how in a story about the internet being bots and and people out here like this individual um, basically like socially engineering people on the internet actively for their own purposes and seemingly quite effectively that I have to prove that I'm not a bot to read the archived article. Continuing, by then I've learned all I needed. Tinkering with civil rights wing patterns results in instantly escalating, highly sustainable, multi-domain, mass participation conflict. And again, a lot of word salad, but even as you read it, it sounds like stuff that, why does it just feel so familiar as soon as those words are put together? That's weird, you guys. I am well studied in conflict theory, he says. So when a conclusion like that rears its ugly head, I was very ready for what was going to happen next. I kept my involvement in those early Gamergate events secret for three years until two weeks ago. Let's go into the conflict theories I used. He lists out here with um, links to each of the summaries of the theories. Karl Marx's conflict theory is about the rich against the poor. My variation on this is about the rich versus the rich, and it's very predictive. Next up, Samuel P. Huntington's conflict theory is about involving friends and allies along fault lines. Gamergate was absolutely this. Richard Dawkins' conflict theory is about mimetic propagation, which also proved incredibly useful to disrupt communication structures. Finally, Rene Girard's conflict theory is about mimetic desire. I consider it the break in case of emergency solution in case I get too out of hand. I used all four to make sure Gamergate would keep going. When Milo appeared, I bought 20,000 Twitter followers for him. I doubled his followers to make sure Breitbart would get involved. It was important to bring gamers into a culture war, especially since they've spent most of their lives being blamed for school shootings, rape culture, and other nonsensical scapegoating. I did this because I saw gamers in a unique future role. Think Ender's Game, but for mass economic mobilization. I do believe I got drunk one night and sort of leaked a little bit of this part of the story on 8chan's slash V. I think someone took some screenshots and saved my drunken rant. Embarrassing. I haven't had a drink in four months. When Gawker proved obsessed with their anti-gamer crusade, I inspected their ad exchange networks to find if they were cheating. My efforts ended up on DigiDay, another link to a story covered. Ad exchanges were now valid battlegrounds for the culture war. That would end up being very important later on when Google got involved. When Thiel got involved, I realized that this was getting way bigger than I thought. It confirmed my suspicions about gamers being key to the future. 
and Hulk Hogan. Oh, man. I once dated a girl who lived down the street from him and the guy who did The Immortal, apparently a biopic about Hulk Hogan, went to my wedding. It's a small world after all. I was able to deduce a few things without people directly or indi indirectly leaking anything, so don't bother trying to find people violating NDAs. They didn't. I did email Thiel, however, explaining everything. I knew he wouldn't respond, but the email would be time-stamped proof of my ability to predict the outcome of the conflict. Yeah, this guy's definitely com confident in himself. He's emailing Peter Thiel, owner of Google, founder of Google, right? Uh, in that email lies my plans for mass economic mobilization of gamers. They're good plans with good intentions and great outcomes. It's just the sausage making is always ugly. So I'd like to read that manifesto. Maybe it's here somewhere. As Gamergate escalated, but there's no link to that one, to that email. As Gamergate escalated, Google got involved in the form of Google Ideas. This gave birth to Jigsaw, the aforementioned Jigsaw that we already kind of briefly saw earlier. Jigsaw runs Project Shield, a platform that analyzes metadata to figure out who is and is not a right-wing extremist. Metadata as in accelerometer metrics, touchscreen interactions, keystrokes, search behavior, sentiment analysis, friendships, etc. I'm looking right at the non-existent camera. I'm staring right into your eyes, you guys. Um, this entire crazy mess of escalating culture warriors was all because of the butterfly attack. Pretending to be protected classes caused the establishment to react with full-force displays of cultural and moral supremacy. After careful study and preparation, I've decided to provide the final piece of this experiment, the one that breaks the very center of the machine called Western postmodernism. You can train Project Shield to target protected classes, thus putting Eric Schmidt in the crosshairs of civil rights violations. And not just Eric Schmidt, but the entire Silicon Valley apparatus. I don't know Eric Schmidt. I'd have to look him up. I'm not going to write this second. That's why they escalated so hard during Gamergate. They knew they were going to have to partake in questionable actions like cyber phrenology. That explains why Google is hiring so many journalists, quote-unquote, as of late and in a link to a story probably about that. I don't think I've clicked this link. If no one, if one, excuse me, if one can generate metadata behavior that resembles a protected class, automated censorship efforts like Project, Project Shield will fail. So let's read that again. If one can generate metadata behavior that resembles a protected class, automated censorship efforts like Project Shield will fail. If you can spoof the metadata of Protected classes, you'll be immune to Project Shield. The Predator will not eat bad-tasting things. But because tinkering with civil rights wing patterns causes mass conflict, progressives will demand Silicon Valley does something to stop this. Google would be forced to engage in even more disturbing volumes of cyber phrenology. So, here he points out that first you poison the well by mimicking protected classes and 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 create like stirring pots on the internet that cause people to tweet a certain way and cause corporations to fire people and cause real actual real world effects whether you agree with those real world consequences or not for individuals who may have committed you know 
terrible transgressions against their fellow man and woman uh, that perhaps in many cases richly deserve um, having a bit of light shined on their behavior, actions, things that they're directly responsible for. But everything he talks about being implemented to derive the data that's used to perform cyber phrenology, as it's being described here. I've called it in the past social engineering or cybernetics. You know, behavior modification where we're pleasure-seeking, pain-avoiding organisms that seek to maintain homeostasis, that being a state of minimal or uh, at best no pain, right? Uh, and uh, the longer we can maintain that, you know, we feel like the happier we are in, in, in some ways, right? Or at least safe and are moving, you know, s s staying alive. <laughs> so this is how you stay alive. You avoid pain, you, you know, seek pleasure and keep eating and consuming. Pull it, reel it in, Steve. Get, get, back to the, get back to the story here. Get back to the understanding. He's pointing out that you can do these things. You poison the well. And then progressives, real progressives, will notice. They're not dumb. They'll figure out that, hey, somebody's poisoning the well. These aren't real tweets. These aren't real statements. These aren't, these are fallacious arguments. This isn't a true movement. These, you know, this is wrong or that. And, and um, you know, we're, uh, we're seeing, you know, this happening and the Facebooks and the Twitters are either allowing the wrong posts to make it through or blocking the right posts from making it through according to some, you know, constantly evolving set of sort of understandings, I guess. Uh, and so first you poison the well, then people react and demand some sort of fix for what's happening. And that naturally will only bring about like some kind of further weird censorship, guiding, manipulation of the, you know, whatever the public sphere of the internet is, right? It's, it's both public spaces and private spaces. It's argued all the time that, you know, and I do agree that, you know, having free speech doesn't mean that you're free of consequences from the type of speech you're engaging in. And so anytime you're transcending, you know, or transgressing more accurately into a place where you're looking for, hoping for, or indeed uh, calling for some sort of violence upon another, whether that's physical or emotional, uh, that that should necessarily carry consequences and is in almost all cases not considered protected speech. I don't pretend to think that it's easy to distinguish all the time or that I know how to protect 
all the right kinds of speech either without messing that up also. That's like personal, right, uh, admission there. So this is almost done, you guys, I promise. I'm sure we'll be over an hour here today even with editing, but he goes on. We'll we'll recap his last paragraph here. But because tinkering with civil rights wing patterns causes mass conflict, progressives will demand Silicon Valley does something to stop this. Google would be forced to engage in even more disturbing volumes of cyber phrenology. So he's trying to protect free speech again in his his mind um, and in his way here, from what I can tell. But we've, yeah heard some interesting little interjections of his own commentary earlier that has all my red flags up. Anyway, next paragraph. Think. Colon. Oh, he's clicking like a black man. She's or he's swiping like a female. They'll have to categorize protected class metadata behavior to protect them. I don't think you can imagine how many civil rights laws that would violate, especially when their deplatforming actions accidentally target actual protected classes. The alternative, of course, is to do nothing and give anti-globalism critics a free ride on their networks. Either outcome results in civil rights erosions. Yeah, that last about the alternative, of course, is to to do nothing and give anti-globalism critics a free ride on their networks. That is to say, white nationalists a free ride on their networks. Either outcome results in civil rights erosions. I tried to warn David Petraeus of this in December. I sent him an email explaining, and in a link, explaining how I've comprised the entire Jigsaw, compromised the entire Jigsaw initiative. Jigsaw brought him on because of his efforts during the surge in 2007. He's a brilliant military strategist. Well, <laughs> okay. How do you maximize an all-volunteer military that has been cycled through multiple tours and received no training in urban occupation? It's the same question as how do you maximize a finite number of community managers who received no training in memetic warfare? You use metadata link. DOD captures all Iraqi telecom data and analyzes the metadata for behavior that indicates if someone is going to go hot. Petraeus used this heavily to make sure the door kickers were allocated for high-impact missions. Fits right into Jigsaw's needs. If I was Jigsaw, I'd bring on Petraeus as well. He's the first general in history to successfully integrate the metadata domain into urban conflict. He loves him some David Petraeus. This also means Google is deploying military-tested techniques and methodologies against American citizens as if they were a destabilized, displaced, and distressed population. I did not receive a response to my email. I guess he's had enough email problems. So how does one spoof metadata? It's easier than you think. Okay, so this is the playbook on how to subvert the whole internet, but it does seem like it's starting with fighting back against 
progressives and a perceived imbalance presently on the internet and in the cyberspace between progressives and conservatives alt-righters neo-nazis all those guys it's not going to do very good on youtube either i tell you right now because i probably won't edit that out really how does one spoof metadata? It's easier than you think. First bullet point, make friends with members of protected classes that hold non-progressive ideas. This tricks biometric qualifiers. Deep cover fake accounts allow you to blend in ideologically for prolonged periods of time. You can find and exploit divisions with these. Those exploits will cause actual progressives to generate non-progressive ideas under progressive metadata signatures. Promote nationalist impulses among protected classes. Transferia, as in furries, transferia has a right to self-determination just as much as Israel. My personal favorite. Clever programming can constantly generate background metadata for a new persona you create. Test results of what you generate against what ads your persona sees on social media. Once the ads match those seen for a protected class, go to town with anti-globalist critics and anti-Silicon Valley discussions. Silicon Valley workforces are made of mostly first generations from other cultures that are mostly not progressive in the Western sense. China, Korea, and Vietnam spent the last half of the 20th century either running from or killing communists. Some have had family involved. These potential Silicon Valley defectors, especially from Google, are fucking gold mines. Devs always keep a copy of code slash DB dumps. As the defectors pile up, they will bring more and more evidence of cyber phrenology. Silicon Valley will have its Snowden moment. All of those efforts go into full swing and the defectors pile up. Silicon Valley will have to institute Scientology-style restrictions of expression and behavior. These limitations will only create more defectors as internal reprimands become more reactionary. If you need help finding the psychology of Silicon Valley developers, mine hacker news and IRC logs for sentiment analysis about their behaviors and allegiances. Silicon Valley wanted to engage in infinite conflict escalation over their obsession with civil rights wing patterns. This zeal will be their undoing. We will make them eat the butterflies until they can't have another bite then we will make them eat more. Welcome to the Butterfly War. So I think on balance, the tone and the terms that we see on display here, I think, I think we understand that this is a individual who aligns himself with, I would say, the, the white nationalist, anti-globalist, anti-feminist sort of paradigm and philosophy. This is definitely a American 
Um, yeah, I wanted to believe at the top of the blog, especially the first time through, that you know this this individual might be trying to break some things for everybody in a way <laughs> um and i'm not i'm not convinced that's the case at all in fact i'm pretty sure that you know that's the very opposite that in fact the writer of this piece and the author of these actions over these several years um, represents one of what must be many thousands of such types of people that exist out there in our country and in the world today. Uh, this I don't think I'm being trolled. This appears to be their straightforward playbook. And, you know, it might be a read-it-if-you-want-snowflakes kind of thing, right? Go right ahead. Try to fight me if you want. Try the same methods. I've just shown you all my tricks. I'm like cringing hard just thinking about this entire thing. Uh, it was so confusing and stressful to read about, uh, you know, that I talked to my wife about it. I talked to one of my buddies over text about it. I talked to another buddy of mine over text about it, sent him the links to the website and to this Butterfly War blog. Because I was like, man, I, I want to believe that you wouldn't put this out if you were this much of a enemy of progressivism, if that's what this is. It feels like it boils down to that dichotomy at the end of the day. I want to find the more recent chat I had with him about, yeah. So I sent him the link and, you know, at first he said this one friend of mine on text, I don't have anything really intelligent to add, <laughs> but that's normal, making fun of himself. But I was like, yeah, this website is weird and scary. I don't know what to make of it. And they replied, uh, the article's in a similar wheelhouse to what Michael Malice talks about, at least with regard to memetics. And then he went on to say social media and culture hacking is a really interesting space. And that term culture hacking it instantly jibed with me because that's what this sounds like, the description of everything we just read here in this Butterfly War blog post. Malice is a character who, like, I, I want to like, but I don't think I like. I, I don't know if I should or not. He's a huge, like, conundrum to me. He self-describes or self-identifies as, like, a you know, some sort of weird internet troll, but, you know, he puts it to you like he's just challenging your norms and things. I've always, Malice has always confused me. I, I think he does a good job of, like, walking a tightrope, but hanging out with a lot of people who I feel like I really 
really don't like. So, but I don't know. Maybe I'm too afraid to look much further to figure that out better. I don't know. Maybe I'm limited in that way, but I go with my instincts. But culture hacking, that was the term, right? Let's see what we get when we search culture hacking just to see what... Culture hacking, the rules.org. Who's this? Let's look at this one. I got so many tabs open, you guys. Hope I have enough memory for this stuff. The rules, culture hacking. This looks like a blog. The rules.org. That's a dang video. The the web result there said so maybe this is maybe this is what they do. There might be people who do this because they're Download the Culture Hacking Toolkit. The rules have developed a method and toolkit to help social movements bring about narrative and structural change. We call it culture hacking. Culture hacking is the act of flipping a narrative on its side, revealing the systems of thought that support it and intervening in those systems to allow new ones to emerge. Culture hacking happens all the time and all around us, both on the left and right, and on both sides of the political divide between the so-called Global North and Global South. Gartner.com, just on reading the results and the blurbs that go along with them on the, you know, always to be trusted duck, duck, go. I don't, I don't fucking know. I, th I heard the other day they're powered by Google too, right underneath. So how are these results any different than Google's? I don't know. I guess I'd have to open the Google side by side, right? Learn the art of culture hacking. Gartner, a culture hack isn't especially hard to execute. It creates emotional responses quickly and visibly. Culture hacking is effective because emotional change is the lever to enact behavioral change, which is the foundation for cultural change. A well-designed hack is a master change agent. So, you know, this is the, uh, you know, we experience it every day when our news feeds are full of more stories and articles that appear to engender our indignation, outrage, uh, deep sadness, guilt, things like that, um, that these are things that people will interact with more than an endless parade of like positive news that you're happy to hear about. Those are the posts that get a lot of comments underneath them. Those are the posts that get reshared. Can you believe what was written here this morning about so-and-so? That spreads much further than, oh, can you believe how great this is? It's wonderful for all of us. You know, those, those posts don't uh, get the same kind of engagement. So just really interested at this point in understanding all of this space better and understanding how bad it is out there with like operatives, rogue individuals such as this and companies with whole teams of people and then organizations that don't exactly resemble regular companies but are some other kind of weird thing with dot 
org. Um, dude, is the Pied Piper on their on their homepage on therules.org. Literally the Pied Piper. I don't see the kids behind him. Okay, it's like just this robed figure playing a pipe. Oh, yeah, this is interesting shit, everybody. Uh, yeah, that just made the show notes, too. You get uh, you get their website, too. Therules.org. Culture hacking. So, okay, so I'm almost done with you. I'm almost done with you. So uh, I talked to these guys about it, got that one comment back from my friend, reminded me of culture hacking. I'm like, okay, that's, uh, hmm, thank you, you know. Thank you for that one. I talked to my wife about it a couple days ago, three or four days ago. Then, and I, I talked to her about it in kind of vague terms, didn't really, you know, explain to her too clearly what I was talking about, but just sort of tried to give her a little bit of mostly the gist about the dead internet theory. But I had mentioned cult state and something about how, you know, this. Uh, writer and this individual had presented a story of being able to manipulate things on on the internet and on our like on a on a viral level okay i think is the terms i used like on a viral level right i didn't say like as mimetic or something but so then a couple days later my wife comes home and she says i saw a tweet or something i saw an instagram post or a tweet that said Something about conservatives like waiting for progressive accounts on Twitter to promulgate a bunch of tweets that the conservatives know to be false out on the platform. And only when they know the meme has gained sufficient traction to like maybe become trending, then they mass report the posts, right? Therefore causing many people to either be suspended or maybe even banned from the platform. Right. And of course, now having in the in between that time, having gotten that other message exchange from my friend and, and learning the term culture hacking, which admittedly I hadn't heard before. Um, I was like, that sounds like that. That sounds like that culture hacking stuff. Here's the here's the post. So she sent it to me today and it came from a Instagram account called the progressivists. OK, I'm not still on Instagram. I haven't been on there for over a year now. So and I don't think I ever followed this particular account, um, but this is uh, apparently like a, a repost from a poster called Fifty Shades of Way Dave New World underscore Two. Quote: This is extremely important. Do not share fake tweets that appear real. The right will wait weeks or months in some cases until the fake tweet gets farmed on all the left wing. Facebook and IG pages, and then they file a cease and desist, getting everyone suspended in one quick move. So I don't have the whole caption below it, but at the beginning of it says, important PSA, this has happened to us twice since July, the most recent in September, the week before the runoff election in dot, 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 I can't, you know. So, but I mean, is this a fake tweet that appears real <laughs> or what? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anymore, you guys. I really don't. 
So there's going to be a lot of notes from this episode. That's about all I got for you. I've been doing a lot of stuff. I've been working on a lot of new things in my personal life. Um, and uh, it's stuff that I will share with you as always, probably soonest, right? Um, but in due time, you know, as things continue to develop, right? Mostly personal development stuff, right? Some of it professional and some of it totally like family and personal oriented, all of it good. Everybody here remains healthy. Uh, the family had another brief uh, COVID scare uh, recently and but everybody ended up testing negative once again uh, for that. Uh, so, you know, we're holding up and in my, you know, close circle, staying healthy, thankfully, knock on wood, even till to this day. And uh, yeah, on that front, we literally do just take it one day at a time, like I'm sure all of you must be as well. So going to be a long episode. That's all right, though, right? It's been a while. So hopefully you take it in two chunks or something and we have a good time with it. Uh, dead internet theory. That's what's up. It's crazy. Cult state. Found it while researching the dead internet. Um, I think we can agree on balance. It's kind of a spooky ass sight and scary seeming motives behind it uh and uh i don't know I, I i welcome your help in looking into it further with me and help me continue to understand if i'm needlessly concerned about this person maybe they aren't as bad as i think but yeah i don't know they give me feelings right so if you want to have some fun with me on TikTok, you probably aren't going to, and I'll tell you, I'm mostly there for one thing right now and one thing only, and that is uh, an amazing community that I found on there recently called Adoptee TikTok. And uh, again, longtime listeners of the podcast will know and will probably recall that I've mentioned it in passing for the most part, but I have mentioned it. I, I'm adopted and was adopted as an infant. Uh, in New York uh, back in 1974. So uh, those were all closed adoptions and during that era. Uh, so I've, to this day, never uh, managed to make contact with my birth family and, in fact, only got my birth certificate, the unsealed original birth certificate from the state of New York, like within the last year. Um, and so joined TikTok recently almost exclusively to see if there were other adoptees on there come to find out there are and so if you're listening to this podcast now and especially if you're an adoptee yourself or have been in foster in your past coming up growing up uh anything like that uh i'm here to tell you it's been the most helpful and healing thing for me in recent years is discovering that community and uh i think the tiktok app we, you know we can talk about like concerns about who really owns it and who's got our data there and what they're doing with it at any time like let's talk about that i'd love to um but man i'm seeing a lot of really positive really well-made content and really incredibly positive content and helpful content a lot of mental health stuff 
um, that I'm finding really powerful. And maybe it just means I fucking need therapy. And maybe that's why I've been doing this podcast for all these years is a, is a poor substitute for that uh, in the first place. I don't know. Maybe I do. Maybe I do know. But yeah, you can find me there. It's baked and awake like everywhere else. Um, but yeah, Instagram's still dead. Facebook's still dead. Please don't message me on either of those platforms really and don't take it personal if I haven't accepted a friend request or anything that you may have sent me on either of those platforms not going to really do much more with either of those in the future uh, for the most part Um, although I leave the accounts up and sitting because they can't hurt me too bad Um, but yeah so uh, you join me over on TikTok my posts will probably mostly concern adoption and being an adoptee and my continued search for my birth fam. So uh, if that's of interest, and like I said, especially if you're a fellow adoptee, um, you know, there's probably a few of you listening to me somewhere in this audience of mine that spans so many different amazing countries that I can't, absolutely can't believe it. Um, you guys humble me all the time with your diversity and with how far away you tune in from it, just warms my heart every time I go look at that info up on my uh, web hosting page on Libsyn. So as always, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for hanging out so long with me. Um, And uh, for those of you just joining the podcast, newer listeners, uh, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, The sound quality on the first few episodes there back in the day, obviously probably not as good, I hope, as what you're hearing right now. Uh, but do your best, right? Help me out. Go back, go dig in those stacks, listen to some early stuff, listen to some stuff from the last couple of years, get to know me. Uh, you know, the content is here and, and what I've looked into is here, but obviously I'm here as well the whole time. So, um, all right, I think it's time to spark it, time for a session and relax. And then I'm going to dig in on editing this baby and getting it out into your hands as soon as possible. Um, Let me know your thoughts on both cult state and the dead internet theory. And uh, until I see you again, you know what I like you to do. Take real good care of each other. Smoke some indica. And do shit anyway.